All right, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles here, and I always recommend that even though we have the verses on the screen, and if you're at home with us, you'll be able to track with us, I always recommend that you have your own Bibles uh, so that you become familiar with your Bible, you become familiar with the text that is in front of you, you get to highlight, you get to underline, you get to make notes, and you begin to own it. You can go back to it during the week, which again I recommend. But turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And uh, what I'm going to do today for the preach is something that I try never do. And what I mean by that is I try by way of discipline keep separate what God is saying to me and what I'm seeking God in terms of what He is saying to the church. And for good reason, and the reason is, as pastors and preachers, it is so easy to slip into the rut that every time I open the Bible, I'm looking for insights for a sermon for other people. And it is such a a, um, regular occurrence, unfortunately, where pastors burn out. And one of the reasons is they stopped listening to God and consuming His Word for themselves. And so for that reason, as a discipline, I try and listen to God for me. And then I'll have other times when I'm listening to God and studying His Word for you. And obviously those are going to overlap and those are going to influence each other. I mean, so often when I'm doing sermon preparation, I am feeling challenged. I am feeling convicted. And also in reverse, there are times when God is speaking to me that that most certainly is going to bleed over into what God is doing here. But this past week, I was uh, spending some time alone with the Lord and I had an experience that I can only describe as a a universe bomb going off inside of my mind and my heart. Now, I wasn't like slain in the spirit and speaking in tongues and flying to heaven and back, but I was spending some time with the Lord, and it's just when His Word and His presence penetrates in deeper ways. And not only was that so powerful for me and precious, But I also felt like God has given me permission to say, this is not only for you, this is for the church. So let me give you some context. A number of months ago, I heard a sermon by a Canadian pastor called Mark Clark, and I enjoy listening to him. I enjoy his preaching. Um, I'm encouraged by his preaching. And he happened to mention, just by the way, that... You know, the greatest commandment in the Old and the New Testament is to love God. And all other commandments and all other acts of faith are going to flow out of loving God. But his observation was this. Try and find a book on loving God. There are many books on God's love. There are many books on love in marriage and biblical love. But he said, try and find a book written in the last 50, 100 years on us obeying the greatest commandment, which is to love God. And so as I was driving, I was listening to this podcast while driving. As I was driving, I said to myself, challenge accepted. Not to write a book and correct this wrong but to journey this out myself. 
just going, I don't know how long I could speak, just describing what does it mean to love God. And so I want to journey into this, this greatest commandment that sums up the law and the prophets from which all other walks of faith flow out of. And so I started a journey mainly in the New Testament, looking at every mention of the word love in the New Testament and just working from Matthew to Mark to Luke. And I've been in John for the last few weeks. And uh, during this week, I got to John chapter 14. I saw the verse that was kind of on my uh, radar for the day. It's a verse that I know, a verse that I've even preached on before. But I had some time. And so I decided to really deep dive the context, to deep dive the chapter, and really come to a great understanding of what's going on here so that I could benefit from that. And as I did that, as I mentioned earlier, it, I could only describe, it just felt like the matrix. But in my mind and my heart, as God started showing me things and connecting things for me and giving me a depth of insights that I had never experienced, at least in this chapter before. Now, let me just pause on my story and just say and warn you, normally, if you hear a pastor say what I've just said, my advice to you is run for the hills. Because normally what that means is, oh, God gave me this new revelation, this new insight into the scripture. It's got nothing to do with what it means. But God gave it to me. And if that's what you hear, I'm telling you, run for the hills. But that's not what happened to me. Because everything the Lord was showing me is here in the text. But the difference is, when we pull a verse out, and there are good and bad ways of doing this, but when we pull a verse out and isolate it and try and squeeze all the goodness out for, that, that is in there, we can benefit from that. But when we put it back into its context and we start to see why is this verse here? What is the flow of thought? I guarantee you we will win every single time. But in this particular case, as God started showing me connections in His Word and almost the rationale behind this particular verse, I, I just cannot describe how deeply impactful and I'm hoping transformational this was for me. And so I don't normally do this, but I, I feel like God said this is not only for me because what started happening was I got into this space, head and heart space that Jules was uh, referring to in our time of worship where I was just so overwhelmed by God's glory and majesty and presence and beauty and His Word that I started losing words. And I'd come to the Word and then I'd open my journal, I'd write some things down and then I'd try and pray it out, but there were just no words because they felt so inadequate at that time. But here is something I did write down. I wrote this down. I said, this is the way I want to do life. Because I know that if I can somehow get this right, everything will change. But then I wrote, but this is also what I want for Riverside. Because I know that if we get this right, so much will change. 
And I prayed like mad that God would open the eyes of our hearts this morning. Whether we are here online or whether we're listening at a later time on YouTube, that God will in the same powerful way make His Word alive and transform our lives. So what is this all about? I know you're waiting. And it is all around one of our favorite Christian words, obedience. I mean, we love the topic of obedience, right? I mean, when you hear that word, what do you tend to import emotionally and and logically into that word obedience? I bet you for most of us, it is doing things I don't really want to do. For people who are somehow exerting their power and authority over me, and maybe uh, strict parents come to mind, maybe strict teachers come to mind. Now, there's something you need to know about me. Growing up, I most certainly was not the perfect child, but on average, I was the guy trying to be an obedient, good little boy, for the most part. And... I've realized something about my motives for obedience as I've grown up. And and I've realized that I was largely driven by pleasing people. That my motivation for obedience was pleasing people. And then I also realized that those who choose disobedience or some form of rebellious paths in life, are also people-pleasing. They're just choosing to please different people. And as I was trying to be this good little boy growing up, I often found myself living this life of obedience and looking at those who were living lives of disobedience and thinking to myself, they look like they're having all the fun. Now, we've all got our own baggage that we bring with us when we talk about obedience, and now we talk about obedience in life and faith, and we import all of our baggage and brokenness and mixed motives, and no wonder it's such a difficult concept to wrestle with. Obedience. Now, maybe I'm alone in this. I just don't think I am. So the verse that is on my uh, kind of radar for the day is John chapter 14 verses 15 where Jesus says this if you love me you will obey what I command if you love me you will obey what I command now I have quoted this verse regularly here at Riverside because for some reason especially recently it, it, it has all become about love, 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 and no conversation about truth and obedience, almost as if obedience is opposite to love. And Jesus says, actually, if you follow me, actually, if you love me, obedience is not an option. It is central to what it means to follow me. And so in my best understanding of this verse, I'm saying, Lord, I want to love you and I want to obey you. Because I love you, I want to obey you. But maybe you don't know this about me, that before I became a pastor, I was a human being. And I am not immune 
from subjectively reading my own brokenness into the text at times. And so at my worst understanding, and let me just say, God does not mean this at all. But as I read those words, they feel like subjectively through the lens of my own brokenness, a manipulative test. Have you ever had someone say that to you? If you love me, you will dot, dot, dot. If you love me, you will wash the dishes. If you love me, you will buy me that dress. If you love me, you will sleep with me. You can finish that sentence. But it's this manipulative, passive, aggressive test. Again, there are, I think, righteous ways of saying those words. But so often, this is how they are used wrongly. And as I started deep diving this chapter, wanting to say, Lord, how can I love you better? And now you're connecting it to obedience. I realized just how fractured and partial my understanding was. So I want to bring you on the same journey that I went on in many ways, step by step. And we're going to be looking at kind of the the matrix or the tapestry of what's going on here in John chapter 14. So jump ahead to verse 23, where Jesus says the same thing in a slightly different way. And he adds something to it. He says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So he's unpacking this relationship, this relational experience of God, the Father and the Son, as it pertains to us. And so the lights just started going on for me when I started to realize, Stephen, I'm importing all this baggage into this verse, but I need to become convinced in my mind and I need to become convinced in my heart that my obedience should be primarily motivated by love. God's love for me, my love for Him, and not just this abstract concept, but this love experienced in relationship as Jesus and their Father are making their home with me. And if I am to understand obedience in that light, that means I need to recognize, not only with my mind, but with my heart, that true love, God's perfect love, is not manipulative. It's not a passive-aggressive test, you know, Hands on hips, if you love me, you will, dot, dot, dot. No, because genuine love, divine love is primarily motivated by the cause and the concern of the other. Where God opens himself up to us for our sake and for our good as we walk and live with him. And so my obedience is not about this top-down authoritarian exertion of power. Now let me just say, is God an authority? Oh, absolutely. Is God powerful and is He sovereign and is He worthy of our obedience to the degree that we will never fully understand? Yes. 
But is the primary way that God is growing obedience in us this top-down exertion of power and authority? And the answer is no. Because what we are seeing here is God as our authority. And what we see in the Father sending Jesus into our world is that He exercises His sovereignty in this top-down exertion of love and an invitation to love and to be loved. And the goal is this relational experience of love within the Father and of the Son. And so our obedience is a response to the invitation into this very real relationship. So let's take this further, and we're going to look at verse 20, where Jesus says, and he's just unpacking this point, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So in history, past, eternity, past, there exists a relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, which we'll get to in a second, where they lived in absolute, perfect relational love. And what they're inviting us into, if we look at the words used in this verse, is not, here's God and the Father and the Son loving each other in this perfect way, and God is going to somehow radiate some of this love towards us down here, he is inviting us to participate in the very same relationship of love. Which we get to taste in some way in this world and in the next we will taste in full. And then the next verse says this, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and will show myself to him. Now, not only again is Jesus just doubling down on this idea that our obedience is motivated by this relationship of love that we are being invited into. But also Jesus says at the end of verse 21 here, he says, and I will love him and I will show myself to him. I have mentioned before that one of my deep prayers for the past few years has been, Lord, let me see you. I don't mean wake up in the room and there's this glowing figure. But in the sense of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Where Paul prays in Ephesians where he says, I pray that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened. Where he prays earlier, he says, I pray that God will give you the spirits of wisdom and revelation so that I may be puffed up in my spiritual experience. No, so that I may know him better. So I've been praying those verses and I've been praying for God to show me. And now he's saying to me, listen, my obedience is stepping into this relational space. And as I am walking into this relationship with the Father and the Son, and I start to know them, one of the outcomes, just like any other relationship where we spend time and intimate time together, I will start to see 
as Jesus reveals himself to me. So now, let's put on the cynical hat for a second. Is this a works-based response? Is Jesus up there in heaven saying, again, hands on hip, let me see how much you can obey me, and once you've crossed the threshold of obedience, then I will reveal myself to you. And that's just the wrong category to think about this. It is simply our obedience is this invitation into this relationship. And think about any relationship. The more time you spend with those people, the more you truly love them and experience and receive their love, the more you're able to be vulnerable with them and them with you, the more you know them and the more you see them. And that is what Jesus is inviting us into. And therefore, our obedience is motivated by that invitation. So, I'm not saying this is, this is what I want. This is incredible. And, and that's how I want to live this life. And then I started to realize, again, but there's so much more going on in this chapter. For those of you who have kind of these paper Bibles, you may just look back at the top of verse 15. I've got a paragraph heading here called, Jesus Promises the Holy Spirits. And so often what I've done, and again, there's good and bad ways of doing this. But when we're talking about obedience and following Jesus, I go to this passage, I pull out the verses on obedience, and I put them into that sermon. And then when I'm preaching sermons on the Holy Spirit, I come to this section, pull out the verses of the Holy Spirit, and put them into that sermon. And then I started to say, maybe there's a very good reason that these verses about knowing the Father and the Son in a relationship of love with this motivation towards obedience is meant to be in the same section about the Holy Spirit. Well, let's see just in brief what this verse says about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read a few verses and make some comments. Jesus said, I will ask the Father. He's just said, if you'll love me, you'll obey what I command. And then he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. What he means by that is one like me. He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirits of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So if I look at those verses in, in one or two from later on in the, in the chapter, there are a number of things that come out about the Holy Spirit here. Verse 17, he is the spirits of truth. Verse 17, he will be with you forever. Verse 17, he will be in you. Verse 26, he will teach you all things. Verse 26, he will remind you of everything Jesus taught. Remember, up to this point in time, Jesus was physically in front of the disciples. He was physically teaching them. He was physically living this out in front of them. He says, I'm going away, but the teaching will continue. As the Spirit comes with you and in you, and there's verse 18 where we left off over here, it will mysteriously, the Spirit will mysteriously be Jesus himself with us. So again, Jesus is not simply up there. Let me just comment on that. Guys, when it comes to the metaphysics of God, we cannot pretend we're going to understand it all. Somehow, God is 
Well, Jesus is enthroned at the right hand of the Father in heaven, governing our creation, interceding for us as our high priest, and through His Spirit, He is also here with us. And so that's why I say Jesus is not simply up there waiting for us to obey Him. Rather, He is here with us, relationally with us, inviting us relationally into His relationship with the Father. And He is in us, motivating, with us, motivating us with His love and helping us even with our obedience. At this point, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm just seeing how the, the Spirit is making all of the work of the Father and the Son tangible for us and in us. And I'm seeing the love of the Father and the Son and that my obedience is not to get these divine brownie points from God, but to know Him better. And I'm saying, yes, Lord, I want that. And I realize there's still more. See, in this chapter and the preceding section, Jesus sets himself up as the model for how all of this works. And there's a dynamic I want to show you. And we see this starting in verse 24, where he says, These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And then he says in verse 10 earlier, he says something very similar, but he says a bit more about it. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father? Again, see this relationship of love. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, so this idea is connected to the previous idea. The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. And finally, verse 31. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I obey. I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So if we stick those verses in a blender and see what comes out, what we start to see is that Jesus himself is saying, because I love the Father, because I know the Father's love, in his case, perfectly, I just do what he commands me. And as I obey him in love, not with a fat bottom lip, but in love, that means I'm still working in concert with him. I'm working with his love. And as I obey him, the outcome is this. The things that I say are not even my words, they're my father's words. The things that I do are actually the father's works in me. And so not only is obedience connected to love and connected to this growing relationship of love, it is connected to God's work in me and through me. And this makes perfect logical sense. But I get it so wrong. You see, it is no mistake that the very next section, again, we're kind of zooming out here, that the very next section in the Bible is John chapter 15, 
I've got a title here, The Vine and the Branches, where again, another verse we quoted so often here, verse 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's just another way of saying everything he's just said in chapter 14. Stay in relationship with me. Know my love. Be motivated by my love and your love for me. Obey me. Do everything that I've commanded. And as you walk with me and as you know me, as I am in you and as you are in me, what you're going to start seeing is the things you say are so often the words of the Father. And you'll find yourself working with the works of of the Father who is at work in the world right now. So at the end of the day, obedience matters. Not in this high school rules-based scorekeeping way, but it pushes me into God, His love, His power, and His revelation, and His works. Now we see this in imperfect ways with our kids. You know, there are times when inevitably I do need my kids to obey me just because. Right? I'm not going to entertain them with an explanation. Because that's not what is required at that particular point in time. There are also other moments in my career of parenting when, if I'm honest with you, I'm not primarily motivated in my expectation of obedience from them by love but I am motivated by my need for an afternoon nap. And so it's about me and my comforts and my needs, and you guys must just suck it up. But God being perfect love is always motivated by serving us and loving us and giving himself to us in full. That's what he showed us in Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our filth and our sin. And so at my best, my expectation of obedience from my kids is not a distal expectation. I'm there with them. And I'm sharing my heart with them. I am an authority in that moment as I teach them and I disciple them, and I equip them, and I help them overcome obstacles. And as they do that, in this moment of participation, we experience a relational tightness, which fuels a greater love for me, of them, and them of me, which fuels greater obedience, and therefore greater participation. And so obedience is us choosing that with God. I want you to think about a sin or an area of obedience that you're struggling with right now. And in the moments of sin or temptation, you're going to be faced with a weighing of the scales. It may happen in minutes or hours, or it may happen in split seconds, where you... Basically say to yourself, what do I get out of this sin? And let me just say that regardless of what God is doing in your life, in that crunch moment, what you're going to get out of the sin 
always is magnified to you a billion times. Biggest lie in the world. But you're going to have to work really hard to see what's going on on the other side of the scales. But you're going to be weighing this up. If I sin, I'm going to do this. I'm going to feel this. I'm going to experience this. I'm going to get this out of it. Oh, and even the thought of it feels so good. And so often, again, maybe it's just me, but I don't think I'm alone in this. And if I don't sin, what do I get out of it? Well, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe God gives me a gold star up in heaven. Maybe I get a little bit of pleasure about being this good little boy or girl. And if that is the only thing that motivates me, and if I weigh up what I get out of choosing obedience versus choosing sin, Guess which way my life's going to go. However, if I can become convinced of what I gain in obedience, and it's not just a divine gold star. It's not just a little divine pat on the back that I may not even feel today, maybe in eternity. But if I become convinced that my step of obedience means I get more of him, I get more of his love, I am choosing this relationship over that, I am choosing his power and his self-revelation, I am choosing participation with him over participation with anything else. And the more that grows in my heart and mind, guess what? This becomes better than that. And that is why I'm so convinced it will change everything. Not only with regards to sin, but there are areas in our life pertaining to obedience that if we don't do them, they may not be considered sinful necessarily. I mean, if you don't read the Bible as often as you want to or feel like you ought to, I don't know if that's sin. But reading God's Word is a matter of obedience. Or if you don't pray, maybe at some point that does point towards some sin in your heart. But if you skip praying on Tuesday, I don't know if that means you sinned, but it is still a matter of obedience. So what's motivating you towards taking those steps of obedience? Is it because the pastor said you must? Is it the good boy or girl inside of you? Or is it a decision to step into this relationship with the Father and the Son? And I believe motives matter. What is going on in our hearts in that moment matters so much. And I'll tell you why. Because Paul said, before he encountered the living Jesus Christ, he says, my life of obedience, he called it perfect. But then he saw and knew Jesus, and he says, this compared to that, this is a stinky pile of dung compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus. And that is what God wants for us. And our obedience means we are taking steps towards this. This is why in the Old Testament, God's word says, I said before you, life and death, now choose. And guys, for so long, obedience didn't always feel like life. God's been growing that in me, but now I'm convinced more than anything else 
the life of obedience is truly life. And so as a response this morning or wherever or whenever you are watching this, I want to invite you into this decision. And I'm praying with everything in me that God has highlighted something in you. Something where maybe you're not walking in obedience. Not to shame you. But I also pray that God has been, because my words are grossly insufficient, that God has been growing an insight from his word today. And that there is a, a yearning and a longing for what he is offering. So I want to call you to respond. I do believe this can change everything. But I'm not naive to think that we can say a quick prayer in two seconds and from this day forward, I live a perfect life of obedience in the love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, partnering with all that God is doing in this world. But I can certainly start walking towards it. So I want to invite you to do that. Start walking towards this. Start walking towards not obedience as an end to itself, that is a decision to step into the greater end, which is God himself and his work in your life, your heart, and in this world. Now, one of the things that Craig and I sometimes speak about is the problem with clarity is we're left without excuse. So, sorry, not sorry for that. <laughs> Because a choice not to, even if you're saying, okay, that's great, let me think about that. We all know what happens to responses to God's word when we say, okay, whatever, maybe we'll get to that later. A choice not to walk towards this is a choice not to walk towards this. But I can't manipulate anything in you. That is the truth as best I, as I could bring it to you this morning from God's word. But man, oh man, I'm praying you're feeling the invitation. And so as I pray, I want to invite a response from you. And I want to leave that entirely up to you. If you want to put out your hands, if you want to stand, if you want to kneel, if you want to write something down, if you just want to say amen in your heart. He has an opportunity to take a step of obedience towards God. So let's pray. Father, you have shown us that your desire for us is not to simply live good lives. Your desire for us is to know you and to know your love and for the Son and the Father to make their home in us and for that to become an ever increasing cycle of love and knowledge and love and knowledge and revelation and insights and life and love. But Father, you're also calling us that if that is truly what we want, we 
need to choose obedience. Because if we love you, we will obey you, Lord. And God, forgive us for importing all of our own baggage into that word obedience. Father, we've got an opportunity now to lay that down. And with the help of the Spirit, with the way your truth works in our heart and mind, that obedience becomes a joy. Obedience becomes just a beautiful invitation to you and participation with you. God, we want to work with you in this world. Please let us not do and be church. Please let us not be and do Christianity so that all I get out of this year is just being a good little boy or girl. That I know you in this life and I work with you in this life. And again, Holy Spirit, I depend on you. I, as the preacher of this word, depend on you to convict and to transform and to plunge this deep into our hearts and to empower this vision of life and love and obedience and participation. So Father, as your sons and daughters are responding to you, would you give your counselor in abundance, your spirits, as if Jesus himself is relationally with us and in us, may we taste and see the Lord is good. And would you also sustain this new work you're starting in us? We choose you, God. We choose you, your life, your love, your kingdom, your work. Protect us this week as the enemy will seek to undermine all the work you've done in our hearts today. Lead us not into temptation. And Father, we pray all of this for your name's sake and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.